Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. The August 2022 Roundup is brought to you by Fun Again Games. And hello, how are you doing? Welcome to September, folks. Uh, it's going to be a very, very big month coming up. A completely jam-packed, something new every day of the week. And if you want to know what's coming, as always, you can hit that eye in the top right corner of the screen to go check out the Coming Soon page. But right now, we're not looking forward, we're looking backward to the month of August, which was also very busy and a banner month for a few reasons. One, Grant Lyon joined the team with Grant's Greatest Games. I really enjoyed the first episode. Can't wait to see his second one, which will be coming up shortly. The uh, Crowd Sorcery Show finally got a logo and seems to be uh, catching steam. People are starting to enjoy it. I'm happy about that. And I figured out a way to keep the Rotto podcast, the Rotto Talks Through podcast going. Don't worry, podcast fans. I know you're a bit worried from the last one that that might have been the end, but there is more podcasts to come. So as always, send your questions to questions at rotto.com because I'm needing some. I've noticed there's a... uh, there haven't been as many questions coming in because people were worried, oh, is the podcast stopped? No, no, no. The podcast keeps coming. Um, but you can always find it podcast.rado.com. And I need your questions. Okay. So with that out of the way, what about the games? Well, even though my wife Jen was in England for two weeks, I still found time, found time to play 13 games, I think. And uh, of course, all the contributors have played a bunch of games and put a bunch of stuff on the channel as well. So actually, let's start with them. Let's see what she Jay had up his sleeve, and then Kimberly and Ruel made a triumphant comeback, and Ryan and Amy and Maggie, they all had some stuff to cover too. So we'll hit all that stuff, and then we'll get to my countdown of the best games of the month, uh, culminating in the game of the month. Oh man, August had several game of the year candidates, I think. So uh, without further ado, let's get going with that, starting with Shay and his four games. Shay, tell us all about it. Hey folks, so I've been playing a few games this month, you know, I've been uh, covering a few for the channel, and then there's uh, one that I really want to talk about uh, that I've been just playing on my own, which, but I'm going to get to that at the uh, number one spot on this list, um, and i got to start at number four. Now, I, I liked all the games that I've been covering, but uh, of course we must rank these things, so at number four we have USC Reach. This is a deck-building game about reaching an alien planet um, uh, with a, a convoy ship, and, you know, trying to survive along the way and also to improve your crew along the way because you kind of left Earth without proper training. And so you just got a bunch of like junior scientists and stuff and you need to give them a book or something. And so it, this is, I thought, a really interesting take on the deck building genre because this is not a game where you're getting a bunch of new cards and shedding the cards you don't want. This is a game where you're improving the cards that are already in your deck and occasionally getting some new ones or changing the ones that you have. Uh, so that on its own, I thought was really interesting. Now, the main part of the game is about simultaneously choosing the cards that you draw to go into the different sections like engineering or science or piloting, uh, and using those, uh, abilities, the, the sort of the, the points in each section to complete missions. And if you can complete a mission, then you can get some kind of bonus. There's a lot of different bonuses you can get. Uh, but you are all choosing simultaneously, or you're playing your card simultaneously and secretly, and then revealing. And when you reveal, then you uh, see who will go first based on you know the planet that you're going to, which will have a specific you know tiebreaker for for who goes first. And then you, uh, in turn order, will take a uh, a card if you can qualify for it. And so maybe the card that you wanted gets taken by someone else and you can't uh, get that card. Maybe you have to get a different card that you wanted or maybe you can't get anything. <clears throat> and while I really liked the tension of that, I actually would have preferred uh, some sort of constellation if you didn't uh, get any card. You know, maybe just like a junior scientist or, or like a junior card or something like that. Something I thought would have been good. Um, but otherwise, I, I, I liked the game a lot. The aesthetics are very, very fun. It's a space theme. I always like space games. But the card art especially has these really kind of like the juniors are, are like, 
little kids uh, in just doing jobs. And then uh, you can always turn cards upside down for uh, their worker benefit, which is like not what they're trained to do, but they can still do it. And then, so the card art for that is always them like just kind of messing stuff up or just being really stressed out. It It's a really whimsical take on that. And I really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, I would have mind, wouldn't have minded some, some uh, consolation prizes if you can't do what you want. It's a little harsh in that sense, although it doesn't happen that often. Um, I also thought it took up a lot of space on the table. And those are the reasons uh, that it's at the bottom of my list. But the gameplay of it, I really enjoyed. Anyway, uh, that was my number four. Um, oh, and I should mention that that was a paid preview. Um, another paid preview is my number three, Earth, Earth Under Siege Flashpoint. And this is a campaign squa- uh, squamish, like you're in Washington. Um, uh, campaign skirmish game, squad-based skirmish game. You see where I was going there. Uh, that is very reminiscent of XCOM uh, with a stealth uh, like through line to it. So if you've played the video game XCOM, de- right away, check out Earth Under Siege Flashpoint because it has a very similar feel. Alien invasion, you're a government uh, organization trying to fight them off. You've got your squad, each of them has different abilities and it's a really cool game. But what I liked about it a lot is it is more of a stealth game than a straight up combat shooter. And so you have to make very tactical decisions uh, for how you're gonna go about the, the you know each mission. And what I really liked about it is there are two main things uh, there. At the beginning of each mission, you choose a strategy. Um, you can go in guns a blazing. You can try and sneak in without being seen, or you can sort of infiltrate and pretend that you and like, you, you know, pretend that you're one of them potentially, or just, you know, sneaking in a different way. And these are specific cards that you choose, which give you abilities and equipment for that mission. So it really changes up each, like each mission to mission. Uh, as well as having different enemies that you're fighting, different you know uh, obstacles that you have to face, and different objectives as well. So there's a lot of variability in it and a lot of choice involved in that variability. On top of that, I think this is a great solo game. Um, you can play it at any player count, and if you are, no matter what player count you are playing as, you can go up to four people in your squad. But if you're playing at uh, one player, you can have as many squad mates as you want, but I like to do it with my character and one squad mate. And the difference is you play this game with a hand of cards. The cards will improve your abilities and give you more versatility, but it's annoying to have to control two hands of cards. So what they've done is if you wanted to have a squad member that doesn't do that, it, they don't have cards at all. Instead, they have a special ability, which is pretty powerful, but a little less versatile. So I thought that was a really great way to, to handle having multiple units on the board with, with a lot less overhead in that way. So uh, for those reasons, I really, really liked Earth Under Siege Flashpoint. There's a little bit of complicated uh, AI that you had to work out. I think they're working to, to smooth it over a little bit, but um, uh, that was honestly my only complaint. I, I really dug it. So if you like you know campaign games, especially stealth-based uh, and alien invasion kind of stories, um, yeah, Earth Under Siege Flashpoint, it's, uh, it's worth checking out. And my number two game. Now, this is tied into one of my favorite franchises of all time. Uh, one of my favorite games of all time, uh, War of the Ring, the card game. Now, I really love War of the Ring, uh, the, the game. Um, I have a tutorial video for War of the Ring 2nd Edition. Uh, I'm very proud of that. Uh, if you're interested in playing that game and you're worried about it, Check out, the, check out the video because I try and make it uh, easier to get into. But it is still a big, heavy game. So, War of the Ring the card game, I was really excited about because it is presenting a sim- the same story and a similar feel in a much easier to play, quicker to get to the table, and quicker to play game. Now, mechanically, they're very different. Uh, you're, you'd be hard-pressed to find a specific rule that exists in both games. But thematically, and in terms of the feeling that you get when you play it, there are a lot of similarities. And I really applaud them for being able to connect them in that way without just recycling mechanics. Um, So this is a completely new game where, you know, uh, oh, and the other big thing is it's generally a 2v2 game. Uh, instead of a 1v1 game. Now you can play it 1v1, it works great that way. Uh, you can also play it 2v1, but uh, the 2v2 game has you splitting up into teams. Um, so there's the free peoples and the shadow teams, uh, but each team has specific factions in their deck of cards. So you're not, it's not a random split for the deck of cards. You're not drawing from the same deck. You have specifically 
you know, if you're playing the shadow player, will all one of them will only have Mordor cards versus the other one will have the other three factions. Same for the, the free peoples. And it really represents that struggle, that conflict very well. Um, and there's also that, that kind of connection of it's difficult to have allies that you can't directly share resources with. So it presents a lot of really strong thematic connection to the source material. I really, really liked it. And the gameplay is great. Uh, you have cards that are you're doing for just about everything, but in order to play a card, you have to get rid of one of your cards. You put in a cycle deck, which eventually goes back to your draw pile, but it takes a long time to do that. So it's full of these tough decisions, but really, really connects you to the, the source material. And I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, so that was my number two, War of the Ring, the card game. My number one, now... This is a game that I've talked about a few times on this channel before. I've covered it a couple times on this channel before. I won't be covering it again, but I want to talk about ISS Vanguard. Um, because I have been uh, hired to do the official tutorial video for it, and so I've been playing a lot of it lately, and oh my god, I love this game so much. It is a campaign game that is set in space. Uh, it's very vibrant uh, in terms of its presentation, and uh, it is about... Uh, humanity finding this great secret uh, encoded into our DNA and uh, building a ship to go off into space and try and unravel the mystery that you have been presented with. And it is story-wise really compelling and really brings me in. It's a really interesting game because it's split into two sections. There's uh, planetary exploration. There is also the ship management. And they're completely different games that you're doing, but they are connected. Things you do in one will absolutely affect the other. And it's just such a, a, a wonderful experience for me. I, I, I've talked about this a lot, and I don't want to say too much about that. I've already said, you know, months back, but it really resonates with me. Now, it's the kind of game where if you don't like uh, dice rolling in games, there's a lot of that. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be for everyone, but uh, even... If you don't like that kind of that much luck, there's a lot of stuff you can do to mitigate the dice rolls or to choose what you're doing. There's a lot of you, you end up you send your crew members down to the to different planets to explore, to go through, to try and solve issues that come up. You got a map that gets new cards for each location. I, I could go on and on and on about this game, but luckily I won't need to because if you're interested. Uh, in just a couple weeks, uh, I'm going to have my uh, official tutorial video up and you can check it out. Um, or if you want to, you can check out some gameplay videos from the prototypes. Though I have to say that some of the gameplay has changed, though that's mostly in the ship management book. So the planetary exploration videos that I've done uh, are, are pretty pretty solid, pretty close to what is current, what is about to come out. Anyway, um, that was my number one game, ISS Vanguard uh, by Awaken Realms. They, they did a, just a fantastic job with this game. And if you are interested in space-based campaign games, check it out. It is, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't do campaign games that much anymore. I mean, I cover a lot of them, but I don't have the time to play through them and actually try and get through the entire thing. Last time I did it was Gloomhaven years ago. I am committed to finishing this campaign. And, and they're not paying me to do that. Like, I... They, they, they want me to make their video, but I'm just playing through the game because I love it that much. So that's all from me, but there are other contributors that need to talk, so I'm going to let them get to it. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to share four games that appeared on the channel this month, or as you're watching this, they will be coming out very shortly because their campaigns are brief. So I wanted to start with my fourth favorite game that I played in August. It's called Sea of Legends, Vengeance of the Empires. This is a just loads of fun pirate um, narrative storytelling game where players take on the role of a captain and they just just sail around this beautiful, awesome board filled with ports and foes, lovers, nemesis or nemeses. Uh, and just Captain Adventures using an app that you have on your tablet, your phone, your laptop, whatever you have. And it's just a nice two-hour game where you fall into a race to the most uh, notoriety, essentially. So have fun with that game, particularly with the French faction in the Vengeance of the Empires expansion that they're just now releasing, which I think is a very strong faction. Uh, my third most favorite game is Power Core Call of Cthulhu. 
This is a dueling card game between two players where they take on the role of H.P. Lovecraft's mythos. They take on two of these characters from this lore, and they're going to combine these character traits and decks and cards to create a really interesting combination that you can change up every single time you play. So in one game, you're playing your opponent who has two roles and you take on two other characters, yet there are eight in the base game that you can mix up and match, and there are also going to be some um, Kickstarter bonuses and add-ons and expansions, like opportunities to even you know build more and more character um, combinations. And it's a it's an elimination. You just want to really get that person down to nothing or no cards left to draw. Fun avatars, items, abilities, maneuver cards. It's a really really dynamic game with a fantastic power core system that generates resources. My second most favorite game of the month was Sniper Elite. Sniper Elite is just dynamic. It's just a really clever game. And it's a hidden movement deduction game where there are two parties. One person is playing the sniper who is trying to sneak around and complete two objectives before the timer runs out. Meanwhile, you have two, um, one to three other people. So three total people can play with the one sniper, so up to four. This other group is controlling these German officers who are racing around the map trying to find the sniper, um, trying to hopefully shoot them twice before the, before the objectives are completed by the sniper. I really like both sides a lot, and I think that the solo is just so interesting. I found that to be captivating and just on the, the edge of my seat excitement when I played solo. And I like the Eagle's Nest expansion a lot. I think it adds a great, great bunch of stuff to the base game. So I highly encourage Eagle's Nest expansion. And my favorite game of the month is Kinfire Chronicles Knights Fall. This is an RPG board game where you get to play all of these missions, essentially learning the game as you go because there's adventuring, and that probably was my favorite aspect of the game. I loved adventuring. I, I love battling too because the initiative order for battling is drawn from a bag, and the baddies might do one of three things on their turn. You don't know what they're going to do because you have to draw a little chip from a bag, but it might be you and it might be another player at the table. And you have these characters that develop their own unique deck. They have their own strengths and abilities. And then you get to go to town and town is so much more developed than uh, I think a lot of board games are. So it brings in that RPG feel. It's got amazing artwork. It's a really thoughtful, smart game and system that runs in less than an hour. You get to do an entire scenario in, in under an hour with just a deck of cards, and you just do the same basic setup with all these really cool maps and places to go. A thoroughly engaging game. I really, really enjoyed it. So that was my number one favorite. And thank you again for sticking through. Uh, it's about 108 degrees where I live, and so my air conditioning is on full blast. So... I hope you stay cool, and uh, I hope you have a great time with these games. Uh, hopefully, you'll get your hands on them soon. All right, that's it for me. Back to you. Thank you, Kim, and uh, thanks for going the extra mile in the sweltering heat, especially because I know you had to uh, put that little uh, interstitial that you just recorded after a long day at work, you know, uh, molding impressionable young minds. Uh, Kimberly Tolson is an actual professor, folks. Uh, and uh, so, really glad to hear. There was a lot of really good coverage from both Shay and Kimberly this month. But that's not all, folks. Um, one of my favorite people in the world, Ruel Gaviola, did a run-through for the channel this month called Robomon. And the interesting thing about this is, if you love Pokemon, and I'm not talking about Pokemon the card game, but if you love the old Nintendo and Game Boy Pokemon video games, you know, where you travel around the world and have adventures, and then occasionally you gotta catch them all and have them fight other ones, you know, Pokemon style, that's what Robomon does in a new world that is clearly inspired by Pokemon, but man, this really captures the energy and the feel of the classic video games, and Ruel did an amazing job demonstrating how it brings it all to life with a lot of really cool features to the game. I was really enjoying it all the way through. So, thank you for covering that, Ruel. Also, I, uh, 
should have mentioned earlier that in addition to Kimberly's wonderful run-through of Sea of Legends, Vengeance of the Empires, Ryan Crichton of Knights Around a Table did an amazing how-to-play for the original Sea of Legends. Ryan is, as far as I'm concerned, the best how-to-play rules video maker in the industry, which is why I love having him on the channel, because he just... he I mean, the way he um, encapsulates the rules and gives them with humor that's not overbearing, and it's just... I, I, I love it. And, um, you know, I if you're at all interested in Sea of Legends, you've got Kimberly demonstrating the expansion, you've got Ryan teaching you how to play the base game, so it was a very, very good month for pirate fans. But um, I'm actually most excited with the uh, contributors because... Amy and Maggie of Thinker Themer got, for the first time, two games covered in one month. And one of them was a monster. Twilight Inscription, also known uh, unofficially as uh, Twilight Imperium, the Roll and Write, they were able to get a copy of it at Gen Con. And um, much to the chagrin of everybody else, I know Shay was a little jealous, as was Ruel, because uh, Twilight Imperium is their favorite game of all time. And meanwhile, uh, Amy and Maggie were just in the right place at the right time, walking by and said, yeah, I guess I'll pick one of those up. And they took it back down under, and then they did an epic run-through, their longest one they've done for the channel yet, that just goes into so much detail and uh, really demystifies what this uber, I mean, this absolutely over-the-top, the longest roll and write, the biggest roll and write there is. Uh, Amy and Maggie broke it all down for you and did a really great thorough final thoughts as well for people who are interested in the latest hotness from Fantasy Flight Games, Twilight Inscription. Uh, but then they weren't done, folks, because they also did what I think is probably the greatest run-through has ever appeared on my channel for a very neat game called Run. And this is basically the spiritual sequel to a game Jen and I covered many, many years ago called Fugitive, where one player is the marshal, the other player is the fugitive, and now, uh, instead of you know the world being largely abstracted, a card game, the original Fugitive, with Run, uh, there's actually a map of the city you're running around and doing parkour and finding all kinds of secrets power, uh, powerful things, and man, I I dare you to watch their run-through of Run and not be smiling ear to ear. It was just such a blast, and you know, a very, very tension-filled uh, cat-and-mouse game right up to the end. Absolutely phenomenal. They did an amazing job with Run. Okay, folks. But that was the content from the contributors. Plus, of course, Grant's Greatest Games, which I absolutely adore, and another episode is going to be coming soon. But what did I get up to? Well, like I said, I got... Did I say 13 earlier? I'm looking at my numbers. No! I think I'm going to be talking about 15 games today, uh, amazingly. And in fact, I could have been talking about 16, but I am not doing a roundup uh, summary for Stars of Akarios yet, because I played it a lot as a solo game while my wife was away for two weeks in England. I put over 10 hours into this game, and I loved it. I mean, just based on its solo play, it would probably be my number one game of the month. But... Now that Jen's back, I desperately want to play it multiplayer with her, and I haven't had a chance to do it yet. So that's... I, I'm, I'm just teasing you right now, folks. In the September roundup, I will be uh, talking about both the solo and the multiplayer experience of this game that promises uh, X-Wing, the miniatures uh, uh, battle game, meets Gloomhaven, meets Battlestar Galactica, the TV show. It's really, really cool. You can watch my run-through and my final thoughts to hear what I think of it so far as a solo game, but I will be playing it more in the month to come, and I'm very excited to get it in front of Jen and see what she thinks. So, with that out of the way, let's talk about games I am ready to rank, starting with um, my lowest rank, number 15, and climbing all the way up to the number one game of the month. So, what do we start out with? We start out with number 15, Gloomhaven, the digital app. Which, because Jim was gone for a while, I actually played a few hours of this with some friends online. I was talking through them through Discord and then playing the video game version because I've wanted to try it for quite a while because it's developed by a bunch of friends of mine, ex Lionhead developers from back when I worked on Fable 2 as the. Uh, uh, game director. Anyway, though, um, I love Gloomhaven. It's in my top five games of all time, and I've got to say this is an amazing digital implementation. It works so well. Um, but playing it 
confirms for me what I'd always suspected. I still want physical things. I found myself, as much as I was really enjoying my comp- the company I was with, everybody I was playing with, hey, uh, Selma and Stacy and everybody else, um, Connie, uh, and your friend whose name I don't remember, the, the guy. Uh, sorry. Uh, but... I enjoyed hanging out with them, but I felt so detached from the game. And, you know, normally when Jen and I play Gloomhaven, I mean, there's so much to keep track of, monitoring all the cards and all of that for all the bad guys and figuring out what their AI is going to do. With the a- with the game doing it all for me, it really felt more like a video game. And it was good. It was smooth. Uh, it played much quicker than normal. But I just... I, I, I missed that tactile feeling. I missed that connection with the monsters I'm fighting. So Gloomhaven Digital is a brilliant implementation. Although, what the heck is up with the lack of undos? Uh, the number of times we had some kind of bug and we want... Hey, we just need to undo because this is a bug. I should be able to do this. Or because somebody made a mistake and you're like, oh, well, you can undo an entire round but not an individual action. That kind of brings it down for you a little bit. But really, in spite of that, really well-implemented, gorgeous, really moody and atmospheric, number 15, Gloomhaven, uh, the uh, digital app. But now let's talk about actual board games, which is what you want to hear about, right, folks? Number 14 on my list is Glory Islands, which is a very, very cool game. Very, uh, essentially, it's a pirate trying to dig up buried treasure and, um, you know, claim islands and all that. But really, at its heart, it's a fairly abstract game. The gameplay is very sharp. What you do every round is you hand to have a card. You have a hand of cards. They're all numbered one to five. Everybody simultaneously reveals a card. And the uh, higher was it? I forget. I think it's the higher the value, the faster you go. Either the higher the value, the faster you go, or the lower the value, the faster you go. So it's it's an initiative system much like Gloomhaven Initiative. Um, But there are some definite interesting twists. Because if I play a four, that determines what my turn order is going to be relative to everybody else. In a two-player game, there's a dummy player that works really nice and really smooth. But that also determines how far I'm going to be able to move my ship around the board. And also where I'm going to be able to place my pirate on the um, islands when it gets where it's going. So these are effectively multi-use cards because every card I play, I care about going first or last because maybe I want you to go before me because you will actually create an opportunity for me by clearing out an island so I can move in. Because there's a lot of stuff we're doing. We're doing set collection for treasure... We're doing um, kind of area majorities for filling up these islands and then they empty out and then they can start be filled up again. We're also racing. Because if you go for a bigger, heavier move, if you go for a four or five, the bigger the move you make, the more exhausted you become. There's there's a victory point track, but then there's kind of an effort track. And the more you exert effort, the faster you travel on that effort track. And uh, you and that means every time you move up that effort track, you're losing points at the end of the game. So it's interesting. You're kind of incentivized to not do very much, to go slow, to take it easy, so you'll get more points by expending less effort. But if you expend that effort, you'll be able to make bigger jumps and have more control over what you're going to do. And it's kind of interesting. I definitely enjoyed the game. I do think it's going to work well with more players, though, compared to two. The dummy player that um, kind of replicates a third player does a good job, but is not as compelling to play against as a human player. And the interesting thing is my wife, Jen, when she played it, she basically went the route of, hey, exert as little effort as possible to get as many points as possible. And the game encourages and incentivizes that. But then it also creates a situation where maybe you're not doing as cool and big and brave and exciting a stuff. You're just kind of like, oh, well, okay, if I'm only going to move one or two steps, well, I guess I'll take care of this. But I held on to some points. And that worked. It was smart. But for Jen, she just enjoyed it less because she was um, basically following one strategy, which is play a very conservative game, score more points points at the end, but don't do as much during. I'm not saying it's the fault of the game, because I do think the game is going to be at its best when everybody is pushing and jostling and trying to get to the first uh, spots they can, because there's big bonuses to be had for crossing certain thresholds around the board. Overall, it's a very, very sharp design. I would definitely love to play it again at a higher player count somewhere down the road with players like me who are bold and fast-moving and are making those big, epic moves and changing the world with every turn. Um, So, I definitely enjoyed my time with a Glory Islands. Sorry, not Island. Islands. And uh, that was number 14 on the list. Okay. Okay. 
Then we move on to number 13, Takedo Duo, which is a two-player only um, head-to-head game set in the Takedo universe. And at first glance, it kind of looks a lot like Takedo, which is a very popular time track game. It's got the same um, clean elegant white aesthetic. Um, there is a track that your travelers are uh, moving around on the outside of the board. But as soon as you start paying attention to this game, you realize, oh my gosh, this is very different. It has the setting and the feel of Takedo, but it does a lot of really interesting things. And in that way, this kind of harkens back to Seven Wonders Duel, when designer Antoine Bauza took his ideas of Seven Wonders, but then kind of rejigged them into a, an epic duel, two-player-only game. He's done the same thing with another one of his most popular games, Takedo, and turned it into a completely new game. And I really enjoyed it quite a bit, as did Jen. We both thought it was the bee's knees. And wonderful and absolutely fantastic gateway game that I would always be happy to use to bring new people into the hobby. I think it is a better gateway game than Takedo is. I think it is a better game than Takedo. However, it is still a very light gateway, you know, family-friendly game. And so it's a little bit too light for me and Jen. In spite of the fact that there's lots of really clever things, how you're controlling three characters at once, the pilgrim, the merchant, and the artist, and they're all almost like playing different games on the same board. And you're always having to make tough choices about which ones. But still, as brilliant as it is, and I think this is going to do such a wonderful... In the same way Seven Wonders Duel really opened up Seven Wonders to more people you know, and created an amazing two-player experience, so does Takedo Duo. Uh, and so if you're looking for a family-friendly, lightweight two-player game that plays smooth and fast and elegant and smart, it's definitely something to check out. If you're looking for heavier fare, it might be a little on the light side, which is why it comes in at number 13. Alrighty, then we've got number 12, and that is going to be San Francisco, which is the latest design from Dr. Reiner Knizia, the doctor of design. And like always, Knizia does new and interesting things with incredibly simple and elegant gameplay mechanisms. Here we are trying to develop our own district within San Francisco by drafting cards that represent residences, commercial properties, business properties, waterfront, parkland, and all of that. And the interesting thing is, on your turn. It's super simple. You're either going to draw a card and put it in one of three drafting silos or buckets or, or um, columns, I guess, or your entire turn will be grabbing all the cards out of one of those columns and then installing them on your board with some pretty harsh restrictions. You always have to play from left to right. Um, you can't. It's, it's very, very challenging because you ultimately want to get the right cards adjacent to the correct other cards so you can make skyscrapers and extend the cable card network and all kinds of stuff. But but the problem is, every time on my turn I choose to just draw a card, I gotta put it in one of three silos. I'm potentially giving you exactly what you want. So I have to be thinking about how am I trying to set this up for me on a later turn when I could grab something, but in the meantime, what am I giving my opponents? It's really interesting. This is kind of like an I split you choose that is kind of a slow moving one because in a normal I split you choose, hey, I draw five cards, I put them into three silos of a three, a two, and a one, and then everybody ends up taking some stuff. Here, those the I split is split amongst all the players as we're slowly building up those silos because only occasionally will somebody say, okay, I can't, I, I gotta grab that stuff. Because there are huge penalties that come every time you grab a silo. So you don't want to just grab a single card or a couple cards. You want to grab cards when it's super valuable because it's going to gum you up with literal red tape that you will have to slough off over time before you can start grabbing more things. It's a clever game. Really enjoyed it. But boy... It is very, um, as a two-player game, it is all about mind games, all about trying every step of the way to confound and um, confuzzle your opponent and keep from them that which they want most. And for me and Jen, it was ultimately smart, but it's a little bit too... Uh, cutthroat. I mean, indirect cutthroat, because of course I'm never taking anything of yours, I'm never blowing anything up, but I'm always trying to create situations where, oh yeah, this would be great for you. I'm going to bury this in a terrible pile, so if you want to take that, you will have to suffer big consequences. And, well, okay, now I don't want to take it. I'll wait for something good to show up over there, and then later on, oh, I'll take that pile now, and now you can't get it, because I was happy with the rest of the stuff there that would have been you know, a real anchor around your neck or a 
Hang, uh, hangman Zeus Rider, whatever. You get the idea. So it's really sharp. There's a lot of mind games. And when my run-through goes up, you'll see, even as a two-player game, you're constantly having to double and triple think every move um, because of how it affects you and your opponents. I think at a higher player count, I would enjoy it more because I could focus just more on my game rather than trying to scuttle your game. But as a two-player game, San Francisco is a real battle of wits. It's brilliant design. And no surprise, because it is from Reiner Knizia, who is is rightfully known as the Doctor of Design. I don't know if he is actually known as that, but I always say it, and I will stick by it. San Francisco comes in at number 12. Now, let's talk about number 11 on the list, Bonfire, Trees and Creatures. Bonfire made my top 10 games, I think it was two years ago when it came out, because it was a, a, the latest big, epic, crunchy, thinky Euro from my favorite designer of all time, Mr. Stefan Feld. And um, it was a great game about gnomes who are trying to relight bonfires that have been extinguished to bring light back to this dark fantasy world by fulfilling the needs of these Guardians. And it was like a regular Feld game, very crunchy, lots of spinning plates, and uh, Jen and I both liked it a lot. So I could not wait to try out the new Trees and Creatures expansion. And this expansion comes with three modules. Actually, four. Um, one of them is it allows you to play five players, which, hey, that's great if you want to play five players. Not interesting to me. The three modules are the trees, the creatures, and the events. And I was very excited about the events because they're all positive. Uh, at any given time, there's one, although sometimes there might be two events going on, that everybody has the opportunity to take advantage of. Discounts on certain actions, making certain actions stronger. And now eventually, those events will go away and get replaced with another one. But it's an entire deck of good things. And I thought, great! I hate events that will just randomly smite one person uh, through no, just through bad luck. Here's the thing, though. The events can kind of indirectly smite you because, oh, an event comes up that's perfect for me. That's exactly what I wanted to do. And you didn't want to do it. And you can't even do that action right now. So you just sit there and look at it turn after turn, something you can't take advantage of. And you try to pivot so you can take advantage of the event, but then it disappears. And we ran into that problem. So um, it adds a lot of variability of kind of randomness and unexpectedness to a Feld game, which normally Feld games are really procedural and you have a lot of advanced planning you can do. The events really mix it up, which is going to be great for some people. But for me and Jen, they were a little swingy. Um, module number two is the creatures, which we loved. Everybody gets a special, familiar creature that gives them a special power for the rest of the game. It's awesome. I would never play Bonfire without these. They are so great. They are almost worth getting the expansion for just for the creatures. They have a lot of variety, really mix things up, really smartly designed. And then the third element is the trees. And now, the trees are great. If you've played Bonfire and you said, you know what, I would like this to be... 15 to 25% heavier, please. Um, because that's what it does. In addition to everything else you're trying to do, um, get the bonfires, light the bonfires, build the paths, create the portals, get the guardians into position so they can monitor the bonfires, to get the elders onto the um, you know, onto the council and all the rest of the stuff you're trying to do. Now you're trying to plant trees as well and color match them against the uh, uh, the... Um, bonfires, the same way you color match the roads against the bonfires. And they're smart because they give you extra powers when you do them. Um, and they're, they're an extra resource sink, which is kind of offset by the events and the creatures. And I like them a lot, but um, Jen, for it was too much for her. Uh, don't forget, Jen, I always say, is a better game player than me. She uh, generally wins. Like well, I figured it out at some point in the past, 67% of the time. But for her, those trees were one level too much, and they um, they took a game that was just right for her uh, in terms of depth and complexity and how much you have to think about and just put it over the top. So the trees, I think, are great for bonfire experts who are looking to crank it up a notch. The creatures are just fun and the events are neat if you're looking for really um, mixing things up and creating all kinds of unexpected swingy moments. Um, so... That's what uh, Bonfire Trees and Creatures brings, and uh, it comes in at number 11 of the month for us. Okay, uh, moving right along, talking about number 10, a couple more expansions to talk about, because this month I got to play with the new Spider-Ham and Spider Hero expansions for Marvel Champions. I like them both quite a bit. I have to admit, 
I mean, I remember Spider-Ham from my childhood. I know these are both uh, out now because Into the Spider-Verse was such a huge hit as a movie. And of course, it took them a year or uh, two years to develop them and get them all balanced and tweaked and all of that. So they're a little late to the party. And I mean, I very much, I really love Spider-Ham because it brings j- legitimate, literal, cartoon, co- comedic sensibilities into the game. Because you've got special powers like getting um, f- um, you know, pounded flat like a pancake and then slipping through things or um, you know, earning tune powers. Uh, Spider-Ham was very, very cool. Really, as always, incredibly thematic. I'm always amazed at wh- what the developers do. But for me, he almost felt too powerful. He was almost Doctor Strange level in what he can do with his crazy cartoon physics. And so he was enjoyable, but you know, just like... I mean, it almost felt too easy to take down um, Thanos. Or, no, who was I playing? I was playing Hela with him. So, uh, I, I like Spider-Ham. Maybe just a little bit, uh, you know, too powerful. But that's okay. Can't complain about that. You can always bump up the difficulty. Spider, um, or SP slash slash DR, um, is a very, very cool... We have a new character who um, is a scientist who rides around in a mech suit. But um, unlike Ironheart and Iron Man, Spider or and Penny Parker does it completely differently because this character... Is is two different hero cards at once. One card for the pilot that can be flipped independently of the other card for the mech suit. And that's really cool. Um, you know, the interplay between these characters. Now, as a general rule, when you flip one and when you go from um, you know, day-to-day mode into pilot mode, that will flip your mech um, suit from you know repair and analysis mode into fight mode. But they are still kind of independent of each other. And it's really brilliant. But what's really interesting about Spider is you, as a given, t- a given time, only have like a hand size of four or even three, if I recall correctly, which may sound impossible. And yet, uh, the longer you play Spider, the thing is, as you get your assets into play, they're all multi-use. You can use them for whatever their power is, or you can tap them for more resources to play more cards. So even though you only have three cards in your hand, hey, that's no problem. I can get these cards played anyway, because I'll just tap a lot of my resources. And by the time I was halfway through my first game of Spider, I had 14 assets and allies and um, upgrades and everything. And it was just insane. It was too much. And I think for really advanced hardcore Marvel Champions players, uh, Spider might be one of their favorites because it just gives you so much power and control. But for me, it got so far away from the original clean elegance that drew me into Marvel Champions. That I mean, I enjoyed it, but certainly not my favorite character at all. So Marvel Champions, Spider-Ham and Spider come in uh, collectively at number 10 on the list. Then we move on to number 9. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Trailblazers, which is a new game from designer Ryan Courtney, who's best known for Pipeline, although Curious Cargo was also a, a pretty well-received game. And what he's really known for is these tile land games where you create big, crazy spaghetti networks of originally oil pipes and later on um, conveyor belts. Now you're making um, uh, you know tangled spaghetti tile laying or card laying in this game um, layouts of Nature trails, hiking trails, biking trails, and streams for your kayaking. And you're doing it to try to fill the needs of a biker, a kayaker, and a uh, hiker. And um, it's really sharp. Uh, Both Jen and I were really impressed by it. It's a ton of game in a very, very tiny package. In fact, if you go watch my run-through, I mean, we actually played this while we were on the road on an RV table. Um, Because there's a big game in such a tiny package, really fun and crunchy and puzzly. A very, very satisfying thing with a lot of different modes for how you can play. You can play with and without animals. You can play with and without the actual characters on the board. You can play with um, public objectives that everybody races after. And no matter how you play, it's a very, very sharp game where the as a high level, it's very push-your-luck because you know what you need to get done. And um, you're always drafting cards. Hey, I'm going to take these cards from my hand and give the rest to my neighbor and take some more. And do I risk it? Do I make this path even longer so that it can be worth more points, hoping I'll be able to get it back to base camp before the game is up? And you can gamble big in this game, and it can blow up big in your face. 
but it is definitely a fun, challenging puzzle. I mean, this is the ultimate Ryan Courtney game because in his other games, he had all this, you know, route building and, um, you know, laying things on top of each other and underneath each other and all that. But there was always complications with all this other stuff. Here, it's just pure tile-laying, card-stacking, route-building brilliance. And it comes in at number nine for the month. Trailblazers. Okay, then uh, we move on to number eight, Fife, which is a, a brand new game. Um, I'm not sure if it's out yet. It'll be out soon from Pegasus, if I recall correctly. And I think a relatively new designer, Borsch. I hadn't seen his work before. But I had checked this game out because I knew my wife... I'm not a big fan of abstract games, but my wife tends to love them. She loves theme too, but she loves when she can just think about the puzzle. And oh my gosh, this game does such an amazing job of letting you think about the puzzle. It uh, Essentially, we are digging up, finding treasures on a beach, but not really. It's just every turn, um, we've got two tiles, one of those tiles we must put somewhere in a 5x5 five five grid, and the game is over once the 5x5 five gr five grid is filled in. The trick is, whenever we put a tile into a row or a column that has not previously been flagged, we have to flag that row or column as saying, hey, I've got 15 different surfboards that I can put down. One of those surfboards I now have to put on that row or column to say, this is how that row or column will score at the end of the game. For having a full house of colors or symbols or numbers, or having, you know, all unique things or having straights, you know, going from one to five or, go, or you know, going through a series of colors. Each tile has a unique color, a unique number, and a unique symbol. And man, this game is, is crackerjack smart. Um, this is up there with Meadow and, uh, um, you know, and other games, and, you know, because uh, oh, uh, Village Green. This really reminded me a lot of Village Green. That incredible complexity of, oh, it's so simple, just place a tile somewhere. But then as soon as you lay down one of those outer tiles that determines how that row or column or diagonal is going to be scored, suddenly you are making yourself miserable three turns from now when you can't when you can't get the right tile. But hey, sometimes out of the bag, there will be these special um, wild cards that let you activate one of, I think everybody gets nine or eight different wild cards. No, seven different wild card powers that will let you bring break all the rules. But every time you use those wild cards, you're throwing points away. So is it worth doing? Jen loved this game. I think this was her second favorite game of the month, which if you want to know more about, you can check out the monthly Jen Jogs, which is a show that I do for um, Patreon backers of the show and also for members on YouTube. She loved this game to pieces. I liked it a lot. I just wish there was a theme. I wish they just hadn't thrown up their hands and said, well, it's abstract. We can't really make a theme here. Because you totally could have. Instead of a themeless sandy beach we're on, why aren't we looking through a microscope at a Petri dish full of amoebas and other microscopic life forms? And we're trying to do experiments. We have to get them all together. We have to group them in certain ways. We have to um, you know, label them numbers one through five. It would suddenly instantly be a thematic game because we're trying to manipulate these scientific experiments. And it would still be bright and cheery and colorful, cute little pictures of amoebas rather than fruit um, on the beach, but it's okay, it's okay. It's a great abstract game, and if you like abstracts, you definitely have to check out Fife. F-Y-F-E. My wife loved it, and I think the gameplay is brilliant as well. I just wish they'd done the tiniest bit of extra work to really ground it in a theme that, I could, that could capture my imagination more. Okay, let's move on now to number seven on the list, Prehistories, which is a very interesting design. Uh, one of the co-designers on it did the Welcome To series, which is what got me excited about the game in the first place. And I was right to be excited because it's super smart. There's a lot of stuff going on in this game. At its heart, more than anything else, we are basically kind of, I guess you could say, it's a simultaneous silent auction game where we're auctioning for Tetris-style you know, polyomino tiles that we could then, um, you know, use to create the perfect cave painting in prehistory. And um, there's a lot of stuff going on. That is such a, uh, a simplistic summary. But every turn, you have a handful of cards numbered one through, I mean, it was a six or maybe five. I might be getting this mixed up a little bit with uh, the other game we played this month, uh, where you also played a card numbered one through five. But anyway, in this game, you could play one or more cards. Everybody reveals simultaneously, and that's your hunting party. And you basically tally up the values of all your hunters. And the bigger the hunting party, the bigger game you can bring down, i.e., the bigger um, a uh, Tetris tile you can grab, but the slower you will go. And there's only so many of these tiles out on the board. So if somebody else can get in, get that same tile with a lower number than you, because they, um, you know, uh, were correctly identified, well, okay, 
They're probably, I mean, see, I could play a nine to get this, but somebody could get it with a seven. Is my opponent going to get it with a seven? Because if they do and I go for this nine, I will have wasted my turn because they'll grab it before I do. You know, and that's really kind of standard stuff, which you see a lot in simultaneous, um, you know, silent auctions where um, everybody picks one bid and they reveal at the same time. Normally, Jen and I hate silent auction games because it's always frustrating. It's frustrating because, yay, I won, but I paid too much. I could have gotten it for cheaper. Or, boo, I paid through the nose and I still lost. And it's just constant frustration. The beautiful thing about this game, if you outthink me and you a bid better than me in a given round, that's okay. I don't lose my hunting party. Now, I could I could instead say, oh, I'll just use part of my hunting party and get this smaller bit of game instead, or I'll keep them all in my hand, so next turn I'll have an even bigger or more robust, I'll have more flexibility. It's really, really smartly designed. Um, also, the problem is, if you actually go out and successfully hunt, you don't get as many cards, uh, because you were too busy. If somebody decides, oh, you beat me to what I wanted, okay, I'm not going to use any of my crew. I get them all back, and I get more cards, so I will have a better turn next round. <clears throat> it's brilliant. It's such a smart game. It's beautiful. It's colorful. Uh, you know, the tile laying is interesting. Every time you play, there's different objectives and all of that. I really liked it a lot, as did my wife, Jen. Well, we both think it's absolutely fantastic and works great as a two-player game. Uh, the co-designer of... Uh, I can't remember his name. It's a French name. Sorry, I do not remember your name, but he does it again. Welcome to his fantastic and Prehistories is a very, very sharp design as well. Okay, let's move on to number six on the list, <sighs> Forsaken, which uh, let's just come right out and... Uh, uh, call it what it is. This is from co-designer Travis Chance, who years ago designed Western Legends, which to this day is still a hugely popular American Old West sandbox adventure game that's gotten multiple expansions, and people absolutely love it to pieces. And so Travis is revisiting the idea, uh, the ideas that he, uh, you know, really did knocked out of the park with um, uh, with, with his previous work, but now he's taking them to space. Because we are, for lack of a better term, really, what I said in my run-through, which I think will be going live very, very soon when the, when the game launches on Kickstarter, is if you like the, the Disney Plus TV show, The Mandalorian, you want to check this game out. Because this is literally Mandalorian, the sandbox board game. It has all the same feels as you know George Lucas-esque spaghetti westerns in space um, with you know bounty hunting and cantinas and um, you know big epic sweeping stories and all that. All kinds of far-flung aliens and, and really neat uh, concepts. And uh, you know, it, it does all the same stuff as its, as its predecessor did, but it really takes to the next level. One is, it has a very, very strong focus on storytelling. The game comes with a big narrative book, and I gotta say, maybe my favorite thing about experiencing this game was the narrative was so interesting and compelling. You are called upon to make really tough, world-changing decisions. And, you know, that fundamentally change the direction of your character's life and the world you live in on this alien, strip-mine planet that is basically an, al an allegory for the American West. You know, kind of um, unsettled and um, you know, just kind of ruined, forsaken frontier that we find ourselves in. A really interesting storytelling, and also the uh, like Western Legends. On your turn, you get three actions, and every turn you have so many levers you can pull, so many tricks you can do that you are always feeling like you're getting big, satisfying things done. It's very rare that you have a oh, I didn't really get anything done this turn. You're always achieving things, and it just feels so good and satisfying. Um, so much so that my wife and I really liked it. And honestly, I went into a little nervous, because the end of the day Western Legends, I thought, was really well designed, but not for us. We enjoy Forsaken so much more, in part because the conflict resolution is not just simply rolling dice or um, um, or like in Western Legends, you know, just you know, doing like the little card stuff. Here, it's a uh, it's a it's a dice tower where um, you know, kind of borrowing the ideas from. Oh, I talked about this in last month's roundup. What was it? Dead Reckoning, the pirate game, you know, where, hey, I, you, know, you drop more uh, cubes in, although in this case they're dice, not cubes, and wherever they land indicates what they do, but then you have all these powers that let you manipulate the dice after the roll. That's what makes me so happy. So many roll-to-resolve games. Hey, I make all my choices, I commit all my things, like this is very Eldritch Horror, or you know, Arkham Horror, or you know, uh, Arkham Horror the card game. I commit all my stuff, and then I do a random thing, and I hope it works. Please let it work. In this game, you can commit a few things up front, but most of the stuff you do 
do is after the roll, when you decide, am I going to use my resources to change the results? I appreciate that so much more. As a Eurogamer, it makes me much feel like I'm much less at the whim of the dice, and I am much more in control of my own destiny. And this game is all about forging your own destiny, your own um, legacy, uh, your own legend, uh, because you score legend points throughout the game for doing really big things. It's very impressive. It's coming to Kickstarter soon. And honestly, this is the type of game Jen and I tend to say, oh, that was neat, but not for us. This one was kind of for us. And Jen hates The Mandalorian. And um, so, I mean, if, if you love The Mandalorian, if you love big, epic, uh, you know, Western in space, you got to check out number six on the list, Forsaken. Okay, now let's move on to number five, City Trip Bruges, which Ruel and I had a wonderful time playing this live um, on Twitch this month. We uh, you know, face off against each other, and you don't have to take my word for it that this is the fifth best game of the month. You can play along with us, because if you go check out the run-through for City Trip Bruges, in the show notes, there's a link that will take you to a page where you can download and print out your own sheet and see if you can beat Ruel's and my score. Spoiler alert, a lot of people have already posted in the comments that they've beaten our score pretty handily, but Still, we had a great time playing it. What is it? It's a game where you are taking on the role of a tour guide trying to figure out the perfect um, tr- uh, trip through the city of Bruges, hitting all the, the big highlights, trying to fulfill the objectives that your tour group wants to see. And it has a really smart selection system where every round three cards or two cards come out that are next to each other that create a little two-by-three grid of random actions, and you have to pick two adjacent actions, unless you use special tricks to break the rules and whatnot. And so... And it's bingo style, so everybody has access to the same combos of actions. And, you know, these are moving around, these are letting your purists take pictures of stuff, all kinds of very thematic things in a wonderful little roll and write that both Ruel and I were absolutely floored by. But again, don't take my word for it. Download it, play along with us, comment about how you totally smoked us, and you'll see for yourself just how much fun number five, City Trip Bruges, really is. Okay, let's move on now to number four, Acropolis. All righty, which is a wonderful tile laying game that, uh, boy, Jen, I really, really enjoyed. Uh, you're, you're not just playing um, dominoes, but triominoes. And uh, these triominoes have different residential things in this, if I recall, it's an ancient Grecian city we're building, either ancient Grecian or ancient Roman. I'm pretty sure it was Grecian. Uh, Acropolis, that sounds Grecian, right? That could be wrong. Anyway, regardless. And an antiquity-era city we're building. Every round, you're going to grab one of these triominoes from the uh, um, the queue. Although, if you want to get ones that are further back on the queue, you got to pay resources to get them. And then, once you run out of those stone resources, you're miserable because you don't have any choice over what tile you're going to get until you can earn some more. But then, you take these tiles and you try to figure out how to expand your city as best you can. Expanding outwards and upwards. Laying tiles on top of tiles. Because when they go to the second level, they double in their effect whether it's points or abilities or whatever. If you can actually build up to a third level, they're even better. But, oh my gosh, the draft in this game is so tension-filled. At any given time, there's at most four things to choose from, but often there's only two or three, and you're like, oh, do I pay the stone to get that? No, I can make use of this thing, but if I don't, then you'll get that thing. Oh my goodness. It's brilliant. Um, Hey, it's it's our number four of the month. Of course it's really sharp. Watch my run-through to see why. This is totally a keeper. Jen and I both fell hard in love with this. It gives me a real Tuluva vibe, a, a classic older tile laying game, but this one isn't cutthroat like that. It's very live and let live, except for the draft, which can be a, a little bit oh, you sunk my battleship from time to time, but in the best way, Jen and I were blown away by number four, Acropolis. But even more so, we were blown away by um, number three of the month, Woodcraft. Now, this is the latest design from Delicious Games and designer Vladimir Suki, who has long been in my top ten favorite designers of all time. I've waxed Rhapsodic about him so many times. This run-through will be coming soon, in the month of September. And um, yeah, this Jen loved this game to pieces. This is going to be in Jen's top five games of the year. 
easily. And I have a hard time imagining this won't make my top 10 games of the year. Because uh, we are, what are we doing? We're in a, uh, we're basically woodcrafters in a forest uh, trying to draft action tiles that let us do different things in our woodcrafting shop, like growing trees or going to the market to get resources and accessories or completing objectives and all kinds of stuff. There's two things that make this game really special, which again, I'll demonstrate when the run-through comes out. One is the way you draft. There's this gigantic buzzsaw, which is a spinning rondelle of sorts that is really brilliantly designed. It's got kind of like almost an advent calendar peekaboo system that the longer certain tiles get ignored because nobody wants them, the more powerful they get until eventually somebody takes them. And there are other tiles that if you take the same tiles very quickly and they're less powerful, that's what actually speeds up the overall um, valuation of the long-term tiles. It's so smart. Uh, it's Vladimir Suki at his best. Uh, you know, Taking the ideas he brought us in product of Regni, but really taking the next level. But what I love is he actually had a co-designer on this one and his co-designer originally brought the game to him. I read the uh, designer diary because the other half that's so brilliant about the game is the materials you work with. We're woodworkers. They are, those are represented by colored dice, you know, numbered one through six. And one of the things you can do is if I have like a, a, a number four yellow die, that means a level four yellow wood, I can use a saw blade and saw that into a three and a one or a two and a two. Um, or I could glue wood scrap on it to turn it into a five. Then I can saw it into, a, you know, a four and a one or whatever it might be. And then I could plant that number one in a pot so so it will start growing to give me more wood while I use the other half to actually complete a job I need. This game is combo-tastic in the best way. It has a fantastic solo mode as well. And yeah, both Jen and I were absolutely floored by it. Again, um, you know, spoiler alert, folks, I don't see how this doesn't make my top 10 games of the year. But if that's the case for Woodcraft, my number three, it's probably the case for my number two game of the month as well, which is known as Come Together. And now this game is so brilliant. It is one where we are trying to put on the best Woodstock-esque music festival possible in the summer of love. And uh, actually, we're going to play over three days, three rounds. It's a worker placement game where we send out our volunteers to recruit the uh, to build the best stage for our acts, to recruit acts to come and perform, to um, build camps for the, uh, the attendees, and to attract the attendees. But the trick is, every time you send one of your workers to one of the zones to do whatever it is you want, you get a little benefit, but you don't get the big benefit until later. Not until somebody spends an entire turn activating a given zone do all the workers belonging to all players in that zone actually do what they were sent out to do. And then suddenly you have this big, huge smorgasbord of stuff that just comes rushing in. And so it's a brilliant game, especially because the more players who are in a zone when it gets activated, that also triggers um, incidental bonuses like um, you know getting lots of attention from the national media and the local media and moving your way up... Uh, TV, magazine, and newspaper tracks. And that is really important too because there's all kinds of bonuses you can unlock in a very Gonshon-esque, clever kind of way where, boom, I got that thing, which gave me that thing, which gave me that thing, and it's brilliant. It's incredibly thematic. Certainly one of the most thematically grounded Euros in recent years. Everything makes sense. It's also full of really fun little um, gags on the cards that represent all the bands. They're references to actual bands from the 60s and 70s. Um, but they're also references to other board games, too. There's So the game has a wonderful sense of humor, a great sense of whimsy, but really interesting, crunchy worker placement gameplay that's unlike any other worker placement game that's ever come before. And the positive interaction between players is just wonderful, uh, which makes it number two of the month come together. And yet, folks, there's a game even better, and that's my number one of the month, Revive. Oh boy. This game is set 5,000 years in the future. It is a uh, competitive game where we are different factions trying our best to rebuild humanity. But the beautiful thing is, if there is a theme not a setting, which is what we normally think of theme in board games, but an actual message to this game. What is the underlying game? What is it trying to say? This game is all about peaceful coexistence. Because it's 5,000 years in the future. Um, nobody remembers exactly why mankind fell. Everybody has different theories. But everybody knows we cannot repeat our mistakes of the past. And so while we are competing to try our best to thrive in this new world as the ice thaws and we come out from underground and start building up a new civilization, we are never really doing it in any kind of a cutthroat way. 
In fact, so much of this game is about peaceful coexistence and taking advantage of opportunities that other players create for you. Now, at its heart, this is what I love, it's a multi-use card game. You have a handful of cards, and you can play them for the action on the top of the card or the bottom of the card. And you put them into slots. And you can upgrade those slots, so those slots will give combo bonuses when you put certain types of cards in those slots. Um, But once you put a card in a slot, it's tied up. The brilliant thing, though, is that um, after... you know, I've put out a couple of cards, and I've done some really cool things with them. You're looking over there, and you're saying... That's a really nice worker you did there. You know what? How about I chunk, flip this little switch, and copy the power of one of your cards and get all those resources too? And you might think, well, that's not very nice, but it is. Because what happens is, what you're doing is, I take that card then, I remove it from that slot, and I put it in my discard pile, which means I will get that worker that I love back faster thanks to you. And you've opened up a slot so I can put more workers to work because I was starting to get jammed up. So throughout this game, woven throughout this game, it's constantly a situation of, oh, you've gone exploring to the West and that's a really cool thing that I could use. So I'm going to go exploring with you and whatnot. But the interplay between players is absolutely fantastic. The combo nature of the gameplay, there are three different engines you are developing at the same time that you are exploring and um, you know, uh, basically reclaiming the land above. There are tech trees with unique player powers that everybody has, and all of it driven by one of the best multi-use card systems I've ever seen. So smart. It's my number one game of the month, Revive. And wow, folks, that was a lot. And now, as has become the custom, it is time for me to say thanks to everybody that helps keep Rotto running. Thanks to all the contributors, Amy and Maggie, uh, Ryan, Ruel, Shay, Kimberly, and now Grant Lyons, too. Welcome aboard, Grant. Oh, and hey, you know what? Thanks so much to Paulo as well, who keeps all of us honest with all of his goof checks. Uh, don't always remember, but Paulo, you are always near and dear to my heart, even if you drive me crazy by keeping me honest. Um, also, of course, thanks to the sponsor of the show, Fun Again Games. As always, very much appreciated your support. But most importantly of all, thanks so much to all of these people right here that are flying by at a million miles an hour. These are all the folks who back the show on Patreon, or um, subscribe on Twitch, or our members on YouTube, and help keep uh, me and Jen in a situation where we can keep bringing you all this gaming goodness. And, as always, I want to give out a special thanks to the very, very high-level backers, uh, starting with Adrian Dong, Aestas Simulanus, uh, oh man, your name is so hard, Aestas, uh, Ben, Blake Wilson, Chris Arnold, Chris Steele, CK Mom, Cobra Misfit, Dan Halligan, Dave Salvatore, uh, Davey Davis, uh, Denmois2030CE, still need to know, what are we counting down to, Den? Uh, Dennis Inti, Dr. Fu, Eric Z, Hans Peter Bach, um, Heather Ruderian, Jay Huber, Jeff Glazen, Jeff Hoffman, Jerry Reese, Jimmy Schroeder Hansen, Cameron Zafar, uh, Catalin Albert Lex, Lisa Needs Braces, Marilyn, Marlon Cruz, Martin Griffin, Mike Bloom, Mom Gamer, Nicola Taylor, Paul Martinez, Selma Lee, Sharon Laubach, Spielenport uh, in um, Amsterfort, Stacy Lee, Steve Ercolini, Tom Cohen, and Victory BHG. Thank you, one and all, and all the rest of you, and everybody watching. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. You can click on any of those things. Really? Okay. Mm Mm-hmm.